It's always appropriate to thank our God. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table, Jesus, thank you. We're going to spend our time this morning in Matthew's gospel. So if you have your Bible, you can begin making your way to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to read a few verses together in just a few moments. But before we read, it's necessary to make a few comments about the book of Matthew. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. And as we read through this gospel, we recognize that Matthew's purpose is to inform the readers that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. The prophets in Israel's history had told of the time, still future, when the Messiah would arrive, establish his kingdom, and set his people free. Not freedom from an oppressive government, but freedom from the yoke and bondage of sin. The Old Testament closes, and then there's a period of about 400 years where the prophets were silent. And as the New Testament unfolds, the time that the people have eagerly been eagerly anticipating has arrived. And the arrival of this time of fulfillment of the Scriptures begins with the birth of Christ. The birth of the the long-awaited Messiah. We're familiar with the words we sing often around Christmas time. Come thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. But there's a problem in Matthew's day. The people were weighed down by life in a fallen world. They were weighed down by their own sins and the sins of people around them. Darkness shrouded the human heart. And the people were unable to see clearly because of the spiritual blindness. Hatred and anger, jealousy ruled the hearts of the people. Oppressive governments exploited the poor and the weak were abused and mistreated. Sickness and disease were rampant. Religious leaders, they carried out their rituals to demonstrate their piety while missing the most important matters, the matters of the heart. We might say that these were dark times. These were dark times. But these times sound familiar to the times we find ourselves in today. They're familiar because they're simply a description of life in the present age. The problem is that the human heart loves the darkness. And we, like the people of whom we will read, need help. The darkness that surrounds our hearts must be removed in order that we may see clearly. We need hope. We need redemption. Who will deliver us from this darkness? Matthew opens his gospel by telling us about the birth of Christ. And so we read the events surrounding the birth of Jesus. And then we read about John the Baptist... Baptizing in the River Jordan. 
We read of Jesus being baptized. And then Jesus being led away into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And that brings, up, brings us up to where we are this morning in Matthew chapter 4. So if you would stand with me in honor of God, we're going to read Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 17. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You can be seated. Our Father, we thank you for your word. And we ask that you would come this morning. Help us to understand. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand that we may know you. Conform us to the image of Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. In this passage, we see that Jesus came into the world as the light of the world to carry out, to accomplish God's purpose of redemption. Jesus came into the world as the light of the world to accomplish God's purpose of redemption. This morning, we're going to make three observations of the text we have. And the first observation is this. Jesus fulfills the scriptures. Jesus fulfills the scripture. As we read through the book of Matthew, we recognize that he repeatedly cites Old Testament scriptures. In fact, Matthew cites more than, more than 50 times he cites Old Testament texts. We also recognize that there are several of what we would call fulfillment formulas in the book of Matthew. Fulfillment formulas which say something like this. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And so when we couple these things together, Matthew's heavy reliance upon the Old Testament and these fulfillment formulas, we understand that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Matthew labors to show that Jesus indeed fulfills the Scriptures. Jesus is the intended end for the Scriptures. He's the high point. The section we have before us this morning begins with some information about Jesus' travels. In verse 12, we see that when Jesus learned of the arrest of John, he withdrew into Galilee. John had been ministering in this region of Judea in the south. And we know the story. John, this, this bold defender of the truth, went to Herod and confronted him about the relationship that Herod had with his brother Philip's wife. And being confronted by John, Herod was furious and ordered that John be imprisoned. And what we learn is when Jesus heard of this, of, of John's imprisonment, he withdrew. He got safely away from this region. 
Perhaps it was because of the danger there in Judea, in the south. Or perhaps more likely, John had finished the ministry. John came proclaiming, prepare the way of the Lord. And as John's ministry comes to a close, Jesus' ministry begins. And so Jesus withdraws from this region in the south and he travels north to this city called Nazareth, this town rather, this small town called Nazareth. And then from there, he travels to this city called Capernaum along the Sea of Galilee. We learn in Mark's gospel that there was a customs post here in the city of of Capernaum, a place where taxes would be collected. Capernaum was situated along a popular trade route. And so as people people were moving in and out of this city, there's a tax booth set up there. There was also a military post here. And the towns along the Sea of Galilee then, they, they, they relied upon fishing, the fishing industry for economic stability. This is a bustling place, this place called Capernaum, a place where Jesus ministered. He performed many miracles in, in Capernaum. He preached in their synagogue, calling people to repent and believe the gospel. Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. Zebulun and Naphtali are two of the tribes of Israel. And so following this this kind of geography, teaching us the, the travels of our Lord, we come to verse 14 and read these words. So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, which brings us to our point. The purpose behind Jesus traveling north to Capernaum was so that Isaiah's prophecy might be fulfilled. Here's just another example of Matthew's concern to show the reader that Jesus is indeed the fulfillment of the Old Testament. He's already demonstrated this numerous times in the opening chapters. For example, in chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, we read of the birth of the Christ as prophesied by Isaiah. And in chapter 2, God calling his son out of Egypt as fulfillment of Hosea's prophecy. The weeping because of the slaughter of the babies as fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecy. Jesus living in Nazareth so that he might be called a Nazarene in fulfillment of the prophets. John the Baptist had come. The one about whom Isaiah had prophesied in chapter 3. And now here Jesus goes and dwells in Capernaum in fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy that the people dwelling in darkness would see a great light. And so we begin to understand what Matthew is communicating. Matthew wants the readers to understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. What does fulfill mean? What does it mean to say that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Scriptures? To fulfill speaks of of bringing something to its intended end or purpose. To say that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament means that that Jesus is the culmination, the high point, the intended end of the Scriptures. 
We've been spending a lot of time as a church in the Old Testament, in the Pentateuch. There we read about the sacrificial system. And we recognize that the sacrificial system was a pointer. It was a pointer to Christ. The sacrifice. The one final sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. Consider where God dwelt in the Old Testament. God dwelt, his presence dwelt in the tabernacle. This was a pointer to Christ. The true tabernacle. We read in John's gospel, the word became flesh and dwelt or literally tabernacled among us. And so we, we look at the Old Testament and we see, we may think about the Old Testament as a big arrow pointing ahead to the Messiah. Pointing ahead to Christ. This informs the way that we read the scriptures. The Old Testament isn't meant to be read in isolation. The Old and New Testament form a cohesive whole. The Old Testament pointing ahead to the Messiah. The one who would come and deliver his people from their sins. We understand that Jesus fulfills the scripture. Look carefully at verse 14 again. We see these words, might be fulfilled. That is, the words that Isaiah the prophet have, has spoken, that they might be fulfilled. And a careful study of, this, of the wording here reveals that, that God is the implied agent behind these actions. God is the agent bringing the events to pass. God is ordering the events of human history to bring about his perfect plan of redemption. And nothing will thwart his purposes. Redemptive history was and still is unfolding according to God's plan. The coming of Christ had been prophesied. The sacrificial system, the ministries of the prophets and the priests and the kings had all been established to point to the Christ. And he arrived on the stage of human history at precisely the right time. And in so doing, he brought the scriptures to their fulfillment, to their intended end. God's plan of redemption through Jesus provides a way for us to be reconciled to God. God, in his goodness, in his infinite wisdom, And in his mercy has provided a way for us to be reconciled to him. Having been separated from him through the guilt of Adam and from our own guilt, our own sin and our own shame, God in his mercy has made a way for us to be brought back into a right relationship with him. And as Christ comes on the scene in the book of Matthew, we see God's plan Being fulfilled. When we recognize that God is ordering, has ordered, and is ordering the events of human history, and that He's made a way for us to be reconciled to Himself through Christ, we recognize that we have peace in the midst of turmoil. 
Because of God's plan for us, we can have peace through his son in the midst of turmoil. Consider this. If God has purposed, God's purposeful plan of redemption included the death of his own beloved son. If, 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 if his plan included the suffering of his own beloved son to rescue sinners from eternal destruction, then certainly the suffering in our own lives has meaning and purpose. God has ordained that his people be made holy through suffering. This is profound. It's not what we would choose. But God planned to redeem a people through suffering. And God has ordained that we be made like himself, like Christ through suffering. This is how the Apostle Paul can say, we rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. James reminds us to count it all joy when we meet trials of various kinds for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And recognizing that Christ is the fulfillment of the scriptures, that he's weaving together this grand narrative, helps us to look outside of ourselves and to see that we are part of this great story, a story that includes our suffering. We identify with the suffering of our Savior in this life. And we have hope. We have hope in the midst of our suffering. Not only that, but we look forward with anticipation to the promise of Christ's return. The scriptures told of a time when Christ would come, when the Messiah would arrive. But they don't stop there. They tell of the time when Christ will return a second time. In the same way that Christ came the first time, he will come again. Christ will come again, and at that time, he will banish every evil and every evildoer to the lake of fire and establish the new heavens and the new earth. And we will reign with him forever. We grow weary. We grow weary living life in a fallen world. We don't have to look very far to see the damaging effects of the fall in our own lives and in the lives of others. And we see the darkness in our own hearts. And with the Apostle Paul, we groan, longing for the return of our Lord. So understanding that Jesus fulfills the Scripture gives us peace in the midst of turmoil and motivates us to anticipate the return of our Lord. So we see that that Jesus fulfills the scripture and we also see that Jesus shines in the darkness. Jesus shines in the darkness. 
The description in verse 15 refers to this region on the northwest coast of the Sea of Galilee. Let's go back into history a bit. The history of Israel. And under Joshua, they, the, the Israelites took the land, the promised land. And the 12 tribes were set up there. In this location around the Sea of Galilee. Zebulun and Naphtali. And God told the people, if they would love him and obey him, there would be blessing for them. And if they disobeyed, there would be curses. And we know the story. The children of Israel refused to honor and obey God. And so the Lord, even in his kindness, here we hear the heart of the Lord in his mercy. He sends the prophets as warners of the destruction that was to come. And so the prophet Isaiah prophesies about impending judgment that would fall on the people of Israel in this region, Zebulun and Naphtali. And judgment would come to them in the form of the Assyrian army. God would raise up the Assyrians to come and bring swift judgment on the Israelites. And that's precisely what happened. The Assyrians came in, destroyed the city, and marched the people off, the Israelites off in exile. And the surrounding nations moved into this region, the region that was once home to the Israelites, which is why we call it now Galilee of the Gentiles. Galilee of the nations. It's interesting to note Jesus begins his ministry here in Galilee of the nations. Galilee of the Gentiles. And at the end of the book of Matthew, we remember what we read there. Jesus gives a charge to us. We call it the Great Commission. And in the Great Commission, we are instructed to go and make disciples of all nations. So Jesus begins in Galilee of the nations and he closes his ministry instructing us to go to the nations. And so we start to hear God's heart for the nations, the people dwelling in darkness. Verse 16 says, people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. Matthew is picking up Isaiah here. And the people dwelling in, in Isaiah's day, those dwelling in deep darkness, had rejected God. They had succumbed to the temptation to think like the surrounding nations. And they had adopted their pagan practices. They were in a settled state of spiritual darkness and were living proof of the fact that the more one rejects the Lord, the deeper one sinks into darkness. The more one suppresses the truth, the deeper one sinks into darkness. Darkness is eerie. From a young age, we find ourselves afraid of the dark. Several months ago, we, we had a, an issue with the power in our house. And, and randomly, certain portions of our house, the, the electricity would just go out. And part of the house 
uh, was where our, our daughter's bedroom is. And our then five or six month old, it didn't take us long to realize she was very uncomfortable with the dark. Perhaps each of us can think of a time where we've been in a place where the lights are out. And darkness makes us uncomfortable, even as adults. Think back to the plagues in the book of Exodus. We read in chapter 10 and verse 21, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. A darkness to be felt. Darkness is used as a a description for people's spiritual condition apart from Christ. John chapter 3, verse 19 says, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. In the book of Acts, we read the story of of Saul and his conversion. Saul was traveling on the road to Damascus when he struck down. And in chapters 26 and verse 16, we read, But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me, and to do, and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. Here it is. Here is your commission, Saul turned Paul. The Lord says, I have a task for you, and here's what it is. To open their eyes so that, they may, so that they may turn from darkness to light. They may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. 1 John 2.9 says, Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Unbelievers are in the domain of darkness, Paul tells us in Colossians. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Darkness is associated with with judgment and torment. On the great day, the final day, when the Lord will return, the sun shall be turned to darkness. In the Gospels, we read of people being cast into outer darkness. Outer darkness as judgment. In that place of darkness, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So in the Scriptures, we see darkness associated with evil and judgment Darkness describes the condition of every human heart apart from Christ. There is a shroud of human, there is a shroud of darkness that covers the human heart. 
And in the same way that the people in Matthew's day were dwelling in darkness, so today people dwell in darkness. There is darkness outside and there is darkness within. But the story doesn't end there. The story doesn't end there. In the same way that the Messiah had come to the people in Matthew's day as the light, so he has come to us today. People who sit in darkness need hope. And hope has come in the person of Jesus Christ. Darkness has permeated the earth, but a great light has dawned. A great light has dawned. Jesus has come into the world as the light of the world to accomplish God's purpose of redemption. Jesus is the great light. And he shines in the darkness. Repeatedly in the Gospel of John, we read of darkness and light. Darkness and light. Consider the words of the Apostle John, chapter 1 and verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And then verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There is hope here. Chapter 1 and verse 9, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Chapter 8 and verse 12, again Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Chapter 9 and verse 5, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Chapter 12 and verse 46, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Jesus shines in the darkness. The light dispels the darkness. Where there is light, darkness flees. Matthew says, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. A great light This word translated great means pertaining to be above standard in intensity. Being above standard in intensity. A great light. This is no small flicker. A mega light. Jesus was bringing to fruition God's plan to redeem a remnant from every tribe and tongue and people and nation for his own glory. Salvation is from the Lord. It's of the Lord. It's always been God's plan to redeem the nations. Hear the words of the psalmist in Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. 
The people of God are blessed by God in order that we may go and proclaim the good news of God to the nations. Our salvation is not for ourselves. It's so that the glory of God may permeate the earth. What might it look like for us to continue to be a church who is sending out more and more gospel proclaimers to the ends of the earth? Young people want to make a difference in the world. Consider your life. Consider carefully the path you will choose. Will you seek for honor and glory and fame in this life only? The scripture tells us explicitly this will lead only to emptiness. Whoever would save his life would lose it. Rather, we should invest in the work of the kingdom. Consider how you may use your abilities. As you consider young people, as you consider the path that you're going to take, consider the ways that the Lord has gifted you and how you may use your abilities to proclaim his name to the ends of the earth. To reach the people who don't know him. There's something innate within us that wants to leave a legacy of some kind. The scripture tells us to invest in the kingdom. To lay up treasure in heaven. Jesus commissions his followers at the end of the book of Matthew. To go to the ends of the earth and make disciples of all nations. We have the light. Those of us who have placed our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we've been transformed. And we have the light. The light has dawned. We must go to those who are dwelling in darkness. We read elsewhere in the book of Matthew, chapter 9, Verses 37 and 38 say this. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. God's plan of redemption includes the salvation of people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. There are people across the globe, unreached people who are dwelling in deep darkness. The darkness of, of mysticism and syncretism and animism. We must tell them about the light. There are people across our nation who are dwelling in deep darkness. The darkness of materialism and atheism and personal autonomy. We must tell them about the light. There are people in our communities who are dwelling in deep darkness. The darkness of idolatry and unbelief. We must tell them about the light. 
people near to us, in our families who are dwelling in deep darkness, the darkness of shame, suffocating under the weight of a guilty conscience. We must tell them about the light. There is hope. The light has dawned. Perhaps there are some here still in deep darkness. The darkness of self-deception. To think somehow on judgment day that God will overlook our faults our shortcomings and that our good deeds will somehow offset our bads and and God will welcome us. It's the darkness of self-deception. But the light of Christ has dawned. If you're under the thick cover of darkness this morning, plead with the Lord. Plead with the Lord to remove the darkness from your heart. Only Christ can penetrate the darkness. Only Christ can penetrate the darkness of the human heart with his radiant light. A light that shines so brilliantly that one day all will see clearly and understand that he is the king of kings. And he is the Lord of lords. And every knee will bow before him. Yes, Jesus has come to fulfill the scriptures. Jesus is the light that shines in the darkness. And Jesus preaches Repentance. Jesus preaches repentance. The message of Jesus was the same message that John the Baptist spoke. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. A parallel passage in in Mark's gospel is a bit more explicit. It says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. John brought to a close, that is John the Baptist, brings to a close the Old Testament era, and Jesus inaugurates the New Testament era, by preaching the same message, namely, a message of repentance. Repentance and belief. Biblical repentance includes sorrow for sin. It's a confession to the Lord. I've been dwelling in darkness. I'm holding on to this darkness. We're familiar with this picture of mankind in his fallen state, kind of clinging to, holding on to this condition we call sin. And repentance says, we must let go of this. We must acknowledge we're we're holding on to this thing called sin. We repent, we, we let go, and we look to Christ. We repent and we believe to repent means to turn, to return to God.
the light has dawned and the people were to repent, to return to God and believe the gospel. Jesus elsewhere speaks words of judgment against those who would not repent. In chapter 11, he says, Jesus begins to announce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. The people had witnessed the works of Jesus. They'd seen the miracles. They had heard the preaching. And they refused to repent and believe. This message is for us this morning. Perhaps you've been sitting under the word for years. You've seen God transform lives. And yet darkness still covers your heart. There is hope. Jesus says, repent. Forsake your old way and look to me. Repent and believe the gospel. God has made a way for people, for sinners, to be reconciled to himself. It's an urgent message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven refers to God's rule. Refers to his reign. And the kingdom of heaven had arrived in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus was demonstrating his reign, his rule, by casting out demons, by by healing the sick, and by raising the dead, and by preaching the gospel. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Certainly it's true that God is and always has been ruling over his creation. But there is coming a day when every foe, every enemy of the Lord will be finally banished. These marvelous works of Christ as he brings the kingdom of heaven to bear. These works of Christ were a taste of what was to come. We sang in a song this morning, what a foretaste of deliverance. And we who have been born again by the power of the Holy Spirit are experiencing a taste of the good things yet to come. About our salvation, we may say we're living in a time of already and not yet. We've already been changed. We're being changed and we're not yet glorified. We look forward to that day. We still live in a fallen world. We still battle our flesh. But there is hope for us. This message of repentance is is not for the unbeliever only. It's for the believer. Our lives should be characterized by repentance. Daily putting off and putting on Christ. So we take the message of the king this message of repentance to the ends of the earth. We, we call on people to repent 
and believe the gospel. In humility, we tell others about Christ. Recognizing that he has pulled us from darkness. He set our feet upon the rock. And so we humbly proclaim the good news of the kingdom. We proclaim Jesus Christ, the light, the one who fulfills the scriptures, the one who shines in the darkness, the one who preaches repentance for the forgiveness of sin. Jesus came into the world as the light of the world to accomplish God's purpose of redemption. One of my favorite artists is Andrew Peterson. And I'm going to close by by reading some words from a song called All Things New. I think he captures this well. Here's what Peterson sings. Come broken and weary, come battered and bruised, my Jesus makes all things new, all things new. Come lost and abandoned, come blown by the wind, he'll bring you back home again, home again. Come frozen with shame, come burning with guilt, my Jesus, he loves you still. He loves you still. So rise up, O you sleeper, awake. The light of the dawn is upon you. Rise up, O you sleeper, awake. He makes all things new. All things new. Father, we worship you this morning. We worship you because... You make all things new. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming into our darkness, for dispelling the darkness, for shining your light of hope. Give us grace to cling to you. In Christ's name, amen.